0: Confident, but not cocky. Courageous, but not foolhardily. Competitive, but a gracious loser. attentive to details, but not obsessed by them. This is the Yoakam Strength Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakam, and producer behind the scenes, Marcus Sottson. This quote leads us into our guest today, Carter Schmitz. I first met Carter when he's a teammate of mine at the University of St. Thomas. He has written blogs for the Yoakam Strength website and has also interned underneath me and has experienced the Yoakam Strength Methods. He's one of the smartest and most underrated strength coaches out there. Currently an accountant, Carter has an interesting perspective on the sports performance world and is known for his experiments and constantly questioning. Today, we dove into the gray area, how he's able to take things from the accounting world and apply them to the strength conditioning world and adding tools to your toolbox as a coach and a professional. I had a great time catching back up with Carter and I'm really excited for his future and kind of the path that it holds. This whole message is very similar to mine and I think his growth mindset is going to Be phenomenal. I hope you guys get something out of this podcast and get some mindset tips on how we can continue to grow as coaches and how we can continue to push ourselves as leaders. If you guys did get something out of this podcast, it'd be a huge help if you guys left a rating only if we earned it and leave the rating that you guys think we earned the ratings kind of fuel and push the podcast forward. So we're able to continue to get guests and continue to provide these nuggets and continue to push forward and better everything that we have. So again, only leave it if you guys think we earned it, but it would be a huge help to the podcast. Thank you guys for listening. All right, well, Carter, it's awesome to have you on the podcast.
1: Yeah, I can't thank you enough for having me, my man.
0: Yeah, so uh, super pumped for this. You want to tell us a little bit about your background and how you kind of got into the world of sports performance and where you're at today?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in a a small suburb right outside Milwaukee. Uh, Decided to come to the University of St. Thomas, play football under Coach Caruso, um, you know, also pursue an academic career. I had a, you know, I had an average football career. I was, I was a kicker. So biggest kicker in the mind. Yeah. You know, I, <laughs> I like to think that we count kickers as uh, playing football. I yep. like to think we count them as athletes. So, um, had an had a, had a average kicking career, I would say, um, but I am proud of what, of what I put on the field, um, during my, during my four years here. So on the academic side, I, I pursued accounting. I pursued a business degree in accounting, and I also minored in exercise science. So that minor was probably where I found the passion of exercise science and the passion of strength conditioning. Um, you know, I also was blessed and and my dad was a PT and he was my strength coach in high school. And so I have some family connections there as well. That kind of led me down down the rabbit hole of strength and conditioning. Um But but so in college was where I really found my my true passion. I I decided to finish out my accounting degree um, and I'm now working as an accountant downtown Minneapolis and I'm truly grateful for my job. I'm truly grateful for the experiences that I'm being given right now. But long term goal is I plan on entering the strength conditioning world. I plan on getting into into sports performance, into biomechanics. And and I'm really looking forward to that future. And I'm also looking forward to to the platform that that my current job is offering me as as crazy as that might sound you know you know to probably think of of a cpa accountant getting his cscs but but I'm, i'm i'm proving everybody wrong i guess and we're going the the untraditional route for sure and and i think it's just you know it's all the different experiences, the generalized experiences. I think it'll make me pay dividends in the long run.
0: Yeah, um, we, t- we talked about it a little bit before the podcast, but being able to hopefully in the long run, that gives you something to draw off of. Like in the mm-hmm. previous coaches podcasts that we've had, some of the biggest things the coaches have said are the best books that they've learned from the best information that they've got. have had nothing to do with the strength conditioning field, but they're able to take that and spin that knowledge and then put it in. So maybe that's communication for you. Maybe that's running numbers. Maybe that's anything like that that just gives you that different perspective that makes you a different coach so you're not always in that rabbit hole i want to drive it back a little bit to what made you want to minor in exercise science in the first place where did that first like hint of oh i might want to do this come from
1: yeah. Well, like, like I said, I had some family roots and strength conditioning. I got into training in high school and absolutely fell in love with the weight room. Um, I think between, between my sophomore and junior year of high school, I put on like, like, I think 45, 50 pounds. Oh, my, you got bit by a bog. Yeah, yeah. I went, I went from like 150 pound sophomore who like couldn't tackle a fly to <laughs> all of a sudden my junior year, I'm like a 205 pound kicker or whatever I was. Um, So, so yes, I fell in love with training in high school and I decided to pursue accounting in college and I just never really gave it a second thought that, and that was, I, I I don't want to say that was an issue because I'm grateful for where I'm at. I'm, I'm proud of what I've, where, what I've accomplished up to now and what I'm continuing to accomplish moving forward in the field of accounting. Um, however, I just never truly gave it, you know, a second thought. I was so focused on football and I was focused on just other things in my life. So anyway, so, so back to your original question, I guess, how I got into strength conditioning. Well, In order to get your CPA in accounting, you have to get 150 credits. Oh, so, yeah. So believe it or not, if that wasn't a requirement, I probably never would have even looked into the minor of exercise science. And so I did not know that. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So that was that was why I originally took that first anatomy class in my junior year. And and ever since then, I just fell in love with the topic. Um, I absolutely dove into it, dove into it in my free time and and absorbed myself in it. Since then, I've been blessed to intern under you and Coach Stuart Bourne. And that was something that also really pushed me uh, along the path of exercise science, along the path of strength and conditioning. And I've been grateful to to be able to work with a wide variety of athletes up to now, you know, because because, yeah, I'm an accountant, but I've also I've also been able to work with um, a large group of 65 plus year olds. I've been able to work with um, a class of middle school football athletes. I've been able to work with several collegiate football athletes and collegiate uh, baseball players. It just with every experience that I have in the strength and conditioning world, I feel like I truly am getting closer and closer and closer to to this passion of mine. And I'm very grateful for all the experiences that I've had in exercise science, as well as accounting. And it's just... It's been it's been a good blend of the two. Yeah. As weird as that sounds, you know, That that's
0: really awesome. That's kind of almost meant to be there. And the fact that it drew you, you needed this 50 credits. So you're like, all right, I'm going to go ex- pursue this exercise science degree. Did your dad. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about that dad influence. Did he mm-hmm. ever influence you and be like, hey, maybe you should do this. Hey, I see I have a passion in it. Or did he kind of let you have that own path? And was it just you witnessing what he was doing? Like, oh, I might have some interest in that.
1: Yeah, it was absolutely zero. Zero. Part of him pushed me. Uh, down down the path of strength conditioning, down the path of exercise science. Now, he was a PT by trade. He, he turned into a strength coach, into into an entrepreneur. But zero part of him pushed me towards exercise science. I just so happened to one day, I I literally remember the day I walked into my accounting um, academic advisor's office and he was like, he's like, oh, how do you plan on getting to 150 credits? And and I was like, I, I have no idea. I don't know. I don't really want to take more accounting classes. No offense. And so I walked out of his office and I'm just like, what am I going to do? And I just was searching around the university University st Thomas website and I, I saw exercise science minor 32 credits which pushed me to like 154 which I was like that's money that's perfect. that's what I'm doing I had to take a couple of semesters of 20 credits but I was like I was like I don't care I'm hammering down I'm gonna I'm gonna do this and and I'm so grateful that I did
0: that's awesome uh, last thing I want to drive a little bit back on about your background is uh the kicking career so I want to how how did you get into kicking and how did that become a little bit of a passion for you and then what was kind of the mindset like so I think a lot of people like You hear the conversation like, oh, I would it would suck to be that kicker for the game winning (laughs) kick. Like, where does that mindset come from and how do you work on all these things?
1: Absolutely. So I originally I was a soccer player at first. Actually, I grew up playing soccer through middle school. And maybe maybe that's where the leg comes from, I guess. And and I remember freshman year or whatever it was when they asked me to. Hey, we need a kicker. I was, I was, we had like tryouts for kicking and I just happened to happen to obviously have have a soccer background. So I just naturally had a little bit of stronger leg at the time and then a uh, comparative to the other guys. And so I just kind of fell into that role, fell into that niche. And um, so that's probably where where the kicking background comes from. And, you know, if we're going to really dive into kicking in my kicking career, I would. I would say that it's definitely brought me a lot of the valleys in my life. I know that's something that we want to dive into is the valleys and yeah, let's let's dive into that now then. Yeah. Specifically. I mean, you know, I got benched three times in my collegiate football career as a kicker. I three separate times I had the starting job, the starting place kicking job and I I got benched for it um, just because I wasn't performing or, or one time was because of injury, but for the most part it was just because I, I struggled. And you know, that's definitely Definitely one of the larger valleys of my life that I've had to get through, um, and so and so. I guess I mean let's dive into it. I started my freshman year, you know, came in gung ho, ready to go, trained well, um, wanted that starting job right out the bat, and and I had this I had this weird view, like you said, you know, kickers, we we strive to get that game winning kick, and and I had this view that I needed to be the guy getting points on the board. I needed to be the guy that that was hitting 50 yard bombs. You know what I mean? Like in front of like the in front of the stands or in front of all the fans. And like for my team, like I had to be the guy hitting the game winner and everything else in between. And, um, so, so essentially that means that I would have been the the place kicker as we call it, you know, the guy kicking field goals, kicking extra points. And so I came in freshman year and that was my goal. I wanted to be the guy. And sure enough, about a week and a half into fall camp, I performed well enough to the point where coach Crusoe pulled me aside one day and he said, Hey, you're taking first team reps tomorrow. And (laughs) I didn't sleep very well that night. And I got (laughs) stressful. Yeah. I woke up the next morning shaking. I'm like, wow, like here's, here's the opportunity. Here's the chance. Like, this is a competition. Like, like let's go get it. Um, and, and sure enough that day, that practice on the very last kick, I, I tore my quad and I shouldn't say tore that makes it sound worse than it was, but I strained my quad pretty severely. Um, and, as, as a kicker, I mean, uh, your quad is almost everything. You know, if we actually look at the kicking motion itself, I mean, you go from like unreal ranges of knee flexion to rapid knee extension, which is essentially your quadricep. (laughs) So, so you can't really do too much as a kicker without, without a functioning quad. So I had to sit out for eight weeks. And so that was kind of the first, first time that I got benched, uh, I mean, due to injury and, and I didn't handle it well. I didn't handle it well at all. I was, I was homesick at the time. I I just wasn't mentally tough enough. I was frustrated the whole time. I, I felt like, you know, I was like, well, oh, why, why did they do this to me? Like I finally was achieving my goal. Like I finally was, I finally, I was gonna be the guy, like whatever. And, and you'll notice I keep saying like me, like I, I was focused. And um, so sophomore year came around and that um, freshman year was the the national championship year, National correct? championship year. So so, yeah, so I can't I did come back after like eight weeks, you know, once the muscle tissue healed up. And but by that time, the senior kicker was having a having a great year. And, and he was he was a great kicker. Yeah. Um, he absolutely rocked it that year. So I just kind of sat behind him, sat behind him the rest of the year, watched him do his thing and learned a ton from him. And the the one the reason I brought that up is because as a freshman, not only
0: did you have to go through the the 10 games and the the grueling season as it is, but then when you make the national championship game in our level, it's an extra five games. Mm -hmm. So that's an almost an extra half season that you almost had to go through that mental battle and that mental grind through it instead of just a regular 10 game
1: season. Yeah, yeah, it was it was tough, and I mean, more than anything, it was my fault. I just didn't didn't handle it well. I, you know, I felt salty towards the start starting kicker in a sense, and and that really manifested in actually my sophomore year. So so my sophomore year rolls around, and and I I, I was in line, you know, as, as they say, for the starting job. Like whatever it was, I guess I guess it was mine to lose in a sense. And I kind of, I sure I worked hard. Of course, you know, I hit the weight room hard and I trained hard, but I kind of had that idea in the back of my mind that. It was my job to lose, which obviously, I mean, that can't be the case. Like you can't have that mindset going into sports. Like, like collegiate football is competitive. People, people are fighting for jobs out here. So I went in, I went in with that attitude kind of, and and sure enough on the biggest of stages, uh, in front of 15,000 people against St. John's at, at St. John's, I, you know, got, got benched. I had two kicks get blocked. I think I threw a kickoff out of bounds. Um, and, and one of the assistant coaches came up to me, he's like, Hey, we're going with the other guy. And, and that was, that was tough to swallow for me. You know, I, that was very tough to swallow. Um, I, you know, I had a lot of family there, you know, obviously in front of 15,000 people. And, and, and I felt sorry for myself again. And you'll, you'll notice the repeating pattern here of, I, of, of me, 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 myself. And, and so I finished off my sophomore year, rode the bench again, and and felt just an unreal animosity towards the starting kicker, like it was his fault that I lost the job or something like that. And and for anybody, for anybody listening that knows of who that starting kicker was, I guess it was Brian, you know, yeah. <laughs> who who is the nicest guy that you'll probably ever meet. The most the most charismatic, the most will make your day guy, the biggest smile, funniest guy. Um, and I just felt this animosity towards him. Uh, which can't happen, cannot happen in in the world of team sports. And fast forward, junior year, you know, now I'm going into it thinking, wow, it's a battle. Like I need to fight for my job. And so, and I just so after failure and failure, I just never learned from it until after my third time. I guess third time's the charm, right? That's what they say. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, third time around, now junior year, Brian's the guy, but he gets injured. And so sure enough, I've been gifted this opportunity and and I let it slide by the wayside. Of course, I failed. Like, why wouldn't I? I didn't handle it. Well, the first time I didn't handle it. Well, the next time. So I failed again. Like, that's how it works. And um, so I got benched again. But that time getting benched, I really it started to click. Maybe it was the UST culture. Maybe it was Coach Caruso. Maybe it was the brotherhood, the family that we had that started that started clicking in my mind that like, Hey, you got benched, you got benched and you still have this role now. And because, so that was kind of when I developed the the niche and the role as the kickoff guy. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not, it's not a very sexy role. It's, you won't see any stats when you look up Carter Schmitz. Um, you won't see any all conference honors, any all American honors, but that was, that was kind of the turning point for me. That third time failing where it started to click that like, Hey, this is your niche. This is your role. And you need, you need to do it to the best of your abilities. Like you need to take ownership of that role. And from there on out, and then going into my senior year, I really, it, it really hit. And maybe, you know, maybe it was being a senior year last time around, like everything for the team, but you know, you say it all the time, it, it's not about you, it never was. It's not about me, it never was. And that was when it really started started to click. It was so funny, it was just kind of like year after year, I dug myself into this deeper valley, this deeper valley until finally third time failing. It started to click, and I started to finally f- climb my way out of that valley. And you know, I was able to walk across that that stage um, at our at our senior year banquet, and, and I was proud of what I had accomplished at the end. You don't need to be the place kicker to have a have a role. You don't need to be the guy hitting fifty yard bombs to help this team win. And I'm I'm upset that it took three times failing to learn that lesson, but I'm I'm so grateful that I did. Because that's something now that I can take moving forward. And that's something that, that I can learn from and grow from. Yeah, I
0: think that's something where you say you're so upset about it took three times um, to grow from that. Where there's a lot of 40 or 50 year olds listening to that lesson and talking about how blessed you are to have learned from that when you're 18, 19 years old. You know, you're, you're not 40 years old having to learn that third lesson when you have two kids and a mortgage going through. So I think that's a key part. One thing I want to come back to is how did that mindset shift? So you talked about how is the culture and you're not really sure, but. How did that mindset shift almost manifest itself and how you took ownership of that role your senior year? Was it you're coaching kids better? you were embracing the team better and just performing your job better. And how did it holistically help you to, as to perform your own job? So how did it help the team and yourself?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think it it was truly I credit my coach, the coaching coaching staff more than anything, just the overall culture that's here at UST more than anything. That was finally just drilled into my brain and and I just I had a couple of mentors my junior year that really changed me. And it's funny, my junior year, that was when I started to also pursue exercise science. So I, I don't know that connection. I don't know if that can, you know, maybe what do they say? Like correlation doesn't prove causation or yep. whatever. But maybe that connection there of finding a, a passion outside of football, something that I enjoyed doing outside of football helped center myself in a way so that when I did take the field and when I did attack football I had something to come back to and say and say you know yeah this football like this is my thing but but there's a world out there where I don't need to be the place kicker and 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 I need to look at at the team first because the team needs me to be the kickoff guy and and you know I credit coach coach Walsh a ton coach Walsh and me really grew close during that time and and he truly instilled in just in me the confidence and the and and the ownership to take on that role and to lead that kickoff unit and to to be be the guy that doesn't get stats, but be the guy that 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 you that you can be proud of. Yeah. Um, so
0: well, that's uh, something I want to draw back on. There is that there's something else to have, because my, my freshman year of football is very similar of I felt like I wanted to quit. I felt like all the pressure of football, like you needed to perform because I had nothing else. Like football wasn't there. Who was I? And it wasn't a great solution, but when track presented itself, it was another passion of mine. And I started to compete and do track. Next time I stepped on the football field, it was, it was a different feeling. It was like, all right, I can relax a little bit in the sense of if this isn't here, I have something else. And it just allowed me to do, do my job way better and just take that mental break. So I definitely think that's something there.
1: And, and you know what that dives into is is Game Changer, the yeah. book Game Changer by Fergus Connolly of, of as an... You're an athlete, but you're not just an athlete. There is a world outside of that football field. There's a world outside of that football field. And you need to be confident in that world outside of football field. You need to be healthy. You need to have, you know, you need to be psychologically well. You need to have your life in order and then you can perform on the football field. It's not vice versa. And I as I'm working through Game Changer right now, I have about 50 pages left of the book. I've been at this thing for yeah, like, it's a grind for, of a book. <laughs> I've been at this thing for like halfway, no, more than that, like three quarters of a year. It's, it's a beast. It's a beast. Um, but as I read it, I can, I can reflect back on that struggle that I went through and say, yeah, th- this, this guy knows what he's talking about. Like athletes, they are athletes, but they're not just athletes. They are 23 hours a day. They're not athletes. They're yeah. some, they're human beings. They need to be healthy. They need to have social awareness. They need to have mental awareness. They need to be confident outside of the football field in order for that to translate onto the field. Yeah. And they're they're athletes with this um,
0: big label across or they're you're humans with the big label across them as athletes. And I think that has mm-hmm. that added pressure of not only are they just walking around and they have to have all these things, but then they have the added stress of they have to perform. So that's take care of all these things. They have all their school life. And then you throw them on a the field and you have to perform. And as a coach, if you're not relating to them, that's it's not the end all be of all. If that that's not your actual identity, it puts a huge, I've seen it break a ton of people of, they have no idea how to handle that pressure. And when that failure hits, all right, then they label themselves as a failure because they're a failure on the field and they're not able to bounce back from that. They're not able to come back from that. And I think that's a big thing that I try to strive with my athletes is realize like that failure is going to happen on the field. You need to be able to bounce back and you have to realize has nothing to do with the rest of your life. You're still a human. You're still accomplishing all these things. And both of them interlay together. It helps on the field. It helps off the field and just helps them become a better human, which is what, as a coach, you need to develop.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny how you say that because now all of a sudden it all makes sense. They go you know, correlation, causation. They, they go hand in hand, I guess, apparently. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's all together.
0: Um, one thing I want to draw back on is how has the how has this helped now in your professional life as the accountant, as the striving to be strength conditioning coach, how has these failures and the mindsets of taking ownership in that life? how has that turning point helped in your life now?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Big thing that I believe in is how you do. One thing is how you do everything. I think that's absolutely crucial. I think that's huge to who you are as an individual. And, and so that is a, that those failures that I went through were a big thing that led me into accounting because another deep valley that I went into was my senior year. You know, light at the end of the tunnel, I'm about to graduate. I already have accepted a job as an accountant. I just found this new passion in exercise science, which is a, a fork in the road. I mean, most people would view those two subjects and say, they're not related. They go in totally different directions. And I would disagree with that person personally. But but nonetheless, that idea of it's not about you, it never was. That idea of how you do one thing is how you do everything. That's what, that's what convinced me to continue the job continue the life as an accountant, because I was committed and, and I'm, I, I enjoy working hard. I enjoy when I'm committed to something I like following through. I'm not the type of guy to not follow through with that. And I was committed to this accounting firm. They've treated me well and I owe them. I owe them my best. I owe them my, how you do one things, how you do everything. Like I owe them my hardest work. I owe them Carter Schmitz. Yeah. And, So that was something, that's something that I carry with me as I move through this phase of my life, I'm obtaining these experiences in the accounting field. I'm learning so much day to day. And it's something that I can carry with me and say, remind myself that like, Hey, it's not about you. Never was, you know, understand why you are an accountant right now, because in the, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you do. It matters why you do it. Yeah. Right. And my why is very simple. It's three words to empower growth. That's it. Like to empower growth, period. And I wake up every day. I go to work as an accountant. And while while I see the overall field of accounting as very black and white, you know, I see the overall subject matter of accounting to to not provide opportunities for much growth. And I'm sure we'll dive into that more kind of as we get into the gray area. but that's something that I carry with me. And maybe that's, you know, helping a peer or maybe that's putting a smile on someone's face, whatever it might be to empower growth in in my organization, in my team, in my coworkers, so that so that at the end of the day, I can walk out of that office and say, say, yeah, I I helped someone else out today. Like I I helped that person grow today. I helped myself grow today by by simply having a better attitude, I helped myself grow today by coming to work today and absolutely attacking the day and having a great day, getting stuff done and 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 living by my why, living by my foundation. Yeah,
0: that that's the the, the why part is super powerful because it allows you again. It's, it's not what you do. It's not the situation that you put in, but it, it's how you handle that situation and how you're able to grow from it. So taking. The situation of that black and white field that you aren't sure if you're passionate about, you're not sure if it's really what you want to do long term and being like, all right, I can look at this two ways. Dread my life and hate every day I go to work and be like, fuck, like I want to be somewhere else. I want to be doing strength conditioning stuff. Or you can accept that fact and be like, all right, I'm here. What can I learn? How can I grow from this? And how can I help others while I'm here and do it to the best of my abilities? And what that's going to do. And one of my favorite quotes is. Work at the job you have for the job you want. Like work that hard at the job you have right now for the job that you want. Is mm-hmm. it because that yep. doesn't just happen. You don't just take the jump from where you're at to where you want to go. You yep. have to that's earn awesome. it. And it's all those connections together that are gonna pay off long term. So I think that's that's super awesome that you're able to say that.
1: Yeah, and, and a few a few thoughts there. Um first and foremost, you know, I'd be lying to say not a day goes by where, where those thoughts don't cross my mind. You know what I mean? Like some days are better than others. I, I have to constantly remind myself of my why. I have to constantly remind myself of of hey. How you do one thing is how you do everything. Attack what you're doing right now with the same passion that you would at at 4 a.m. reading your book or at at 5 a.m. lifting or whatever my schedule looks like that day. And so that's the first thing. The second thing, I I would guess a lot of people could probably relate to that. You know, I know a lot of people out there aren't satisfied necessarily with their jobs. And a lot of people out there get a job out of college and, and they're already moving on looking for the next thing. And trust me, I'm right there with you. But at the same time, you need to understand what you're doing right now. You need to do that to the best of your ability, yeah. because by doing that, you're going to be able to pay dividends in the long run. You know, I we were talking about it before the show. I definitely consider myself more of a generalist. Um, I know we were talking about the book Range by David Epstein. Absolutely huge book. Love the book. Um, but he he talks about by developing a breadth of experiences, a breadth of knowledge, you will achieve more in the long run, because as you as you further grow your foundation, once you do choose to make a right turn and narrow your path, you will be able to grow on all of those experiences that you've had and all of those different learning opportunities that you've been given. And further, one thing I believe is that is that even if you're doing something you don't want to do, you need to attack it to the best of your ability, because that's how these learning experiences become uh, become tangible and become usable. But then another thing that I believe is that, is that the, the bigger your breadth of knowledge and experiences, the, the higher your mountain becomes. And essentially, you know, your mountain is your growth. Your mountain is navigating the gray area. Your mountain is how high can you get up that mountain? Because we all aspire to grow. We all aspire to become better individuals at whatever passions consume us. And you are only going to Get as high as your foundation is strong, as your foundation is why, you know, the bigger the base, the taller the mountain. Yeah, And that's something that I truly believe in um, wholeheartedly. Yeah,
0: 100%. So I wrote a whole blog about what my thought process going into 2020 was. And it's the year of expiration for the same exact thought process of my goal with this business, my goal with this brand is to become a leader in the field and have Again, this, this this growth model of if I'm the leader at the top of the mountain and, and I'm and I'm trying to give this knowledge and these experiences and these things this podcast to other people, I need to have a vast variety of things to grab from. Otherwise, if I'm just in this one rabbit hole and just diving down deep into this, and I have this one pinpoint of knowledge that I'm super good at, but no nothing else to relate to people, nothing else to make it make sense to other people. To me, like you said that that that's not going to work. That 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 foundation, you're not going to be able to climb higher than if you had just dove deep into that one specific
1: spot. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely relate to that. And one thing one thing that that David Epstein talks about in Range is he talks about professional athletes how specializing is, is really not the norm and how the majority, you know, you look at like Roger Federer who played, I believe it was soccer like for the longest time before transitioning into tennis. And obviously now he's like the best tennis player to ever play the game. I don't know tennis that well, but (laughs) I, I know he's up there. And that story of, of not specializing early is so much more common and should we should be viewing that as the way we should be viewing that as the key to growth and, and not the, the Tiger Woods story of playing golf since he could pick up a club and practicing for hours and hours and hours and hours every day. He's kind of an outlier, you know what I mean? And, and so I truly would consider myself as more of a, a gen on the generalized side of things. Um, that being said, you know, you got to navigate the gray area and understand specialization needs to occur eventually. You know what I mean? Like you can't just generalize your whole life. Otherwise, you're never going to climb that mountain. You'll be average at everything. Exactly. So there comes a point in time where that generalization needs to turn into specialization and you need to take all those experiences from your generalized world into your specialized career, subject matter, knowledge base, whatever that whatever that is, whatever that beca- that specialization becomes.
0: Yeah. And that's I, I love that point. I, I refer to it as. With my athletes and then with other coaches, it's two separate things, but having tools in your toolbox. Mm -hmm. So I think what a lot of athletes struggle at is, again, specializing in that sport, let's say. And then they have no other tool and they're repetitive, they're repetitive, they have no other action. So for athletes, it's giving them tools, giving them different movement patterns, giving them different things that they haven't had before. Mm -hmm. So they add another tool to that toolbox. And then coaches and professionals, it's what are your tools in your toolbox? Because a lot of coaches are like, I got a hammer. Like, I'm really good at this hammer Mm -hmm. and uh, I'm going to smash everything. Mm -hmm. Like, well... Maybe if you took 10 minutes to realize that other side and you picked up that saw, you could cut that board way easier than trying to smash through it with a hammer. And this is where you see a lot of in the strength conditioning world, like people having a pissing match for no reason because one person has a hand. Well, they each have different tools in their hands and preach, man. Taking that deep breath and realizing, all right, like there's good here.
1: There's good here. Let's
0: use these tools for when it matters.
1: Absolutely. And that's I mean, that is the gray area. Yeah. would you want to describe the gray area. I would love to more than anything. So the gray area is is essentially it's essentially the area in between two opposing ideals and it's the area in which two opposing ideals can come together to mold one interdependent viewpoint that's going to be stronger than those two opposing ideals viewpoints are separate and in summary that's what the gray area is and and in In simple terms, you could call it compromise almost. But I really don't like the word compromise because compromise insinuates that you are you're giving something up in order to meet in the middle. And that's not what the gray area gray area is. Even the word balance, I kind of struggle with sometimes because you need to balance two ideals. But it's more than that. And that's why whenever I draw the gray area for someone, I draw in the bottom right, I draw one ideal or viewpoint in the bottom left. I draw another viewpoint. And then there is a triangle that grows out on top of those. So if you can picture in the bottom left, there's one of the triangle. There's one viewpoint in the bottom right. There's another. And that triangle almost represents the mountain that needs to be climbed. And at the base of the triangle is compromise. It's where you're taking two ideas. You're balancing them. Well, you know, you're meeting somewhere in the middle. You're still in the gray area. So you're meeting the middle. You are producing growth by finding that balance. But it's more than that. It's. It's taking two viewpoints, bringing them together in order to create something that's interdependently stronger than those two viewpoints are separate. And and the biggest or the example that that led me down this this rabbit hole of the gray area was human movement, which was the very first subject matter that I really dove into in the world of exercise science, this idea of human movement. And it's so funny to me, like uh, confirmation bias, you know, like the first article that you read, the first book that you read, the first lecture that you view. It's like it's like you take that good as gold and that's like what you're going to run with. Yep. And so the first idea that I was introduced to in the world of exercise science and human movement specifically was like academia, human movement. And so by academia, human human movement, I mean, like there is one perfect way to move. All all humans are created similarly, you know, no knee valgus when you squat, um and, and everything else in between. And so that was the idea that I, I took and I just basically ran with. And I said, I said, "Oh, that's the idea. That's what we're going to go with. That's the viewpoint." And I never even bothered to find the opposing viewpoints, you know? I would go home and research, and it's so easy in our informational world today to like find an article that that further's your idea and further's your viewpoint. So, I I would go home and I would say, "Okay, I would type into Google, why you shouldn't perform squats with knee valgus." And of course, you know, articles pop up that say, "Oh, here's why you shouldn't have knee valgus when you squat." And I just kind of continued down this narrow pathway in a sense. You know, we talked about earlier about generalizing and having a a, a breadth of knowledge. Well, I was doing the exact opposite and I was saying, oh, here's the viewpoint and I'm going to just run with it. But if you have a narrow viewpoint, if you if you have a narrow knowledge base and a narrow uh, uh, breadth of experiences, your mountain can't be tall. Your mountain is limited to the amount of growth that you can experience because of that narrow base that you are creating. And, and so I'm very grateful to have that internship with you and, and specifically um, Stu. Coach Stuart Bourne is, is a role model to me. He's a mentor to me. And there's nobody out there that I know that navigates the gray areas of strength conditioning and of and just life for that matter better than Stu. He's unreal. He takes in all the information that he can. He absorbs it all. And then he interdependently molds it all together into Stuart Bourne and portrays it into his athletes programs, into his his communication style, into his leadership abilities and everything else in between. And I'm so grateful for him. But but anyway, as I as I was saying, I I interned with under you and under under Stu. And I brought those ideas that I had of this narrow pathway of human movement with me into the weight room, into that internship. And and you know, I was a cocky, <laughs> cocky junior. I was like, I so saw I'd be walking around with Stu in the weight room, and one of his athletes would maybe have a little little knee valgus going on, you know? Uh, I would say to Stu, I'd say, Stu, don't you don't you want to fix that? Like, isn't that something that we should be fixing? Because up to that point, that's all I knew. Like that's that's what I was taught in the classroom. That's what I furthered as during my own research. And and Stu would just fire it back at me. He would say, "Well, why? Why should we fix knee valgus?" And I would give him, you know, the textbook thing that I just read earlier that day of like, "Well, get rid of knee valgus, more glute activation, um, you know, better transferring of force up the kinetic chain, blah blah blah." And he would and he would continue to push back, and he would say, "Well, why? Like, why does that matter?" And until and he would explain to me the opposing viewpoint to that. He would play devil's advocate, and he would say. Well, do you know there's a viewpoint out there that believes slight knee valgus is actually okay? There's a, have you ever watched James Harden shoot a three? Have you ever watched Kevin Durant take a free throw? He has extreme knee valgus going on. Or we got the dunk contest coming up. These guys, if you watch carefully, there will be slight knee valgus going on as they take off for their jumps. And it makes sense biomechanically, if you think about it, because slight knee valgus is going to cause you to be rotational able to, humans. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, slight knee back, valgus is going to be able to allow you to create a stronger glute activation, actually, with that slight abduction into external rotation. But um but nonetheless, so Stu introduced me to this opposing viewpoint. And initially, I just <laughs> absolutely wrote him off. I was like, I was like, no, Stu, you don't know what you're talking about. I, would, I thought that about a guy who's got way more experience than I have and is way more knowledgeable than me. But through, you know, months and months and months of conversing with Stu and becoming closer with Stu and understanding his ideas and his viewpoints, I mean, mean, he's a mentor to me. I mean, we're so close and I'm so grateful that he took that he was patient enough with me to help me grow. And do you remember? um, So so finally, one day, Stu convinced me to come to his uh, the movement meetup with Sean Mishka, Tyler Yerby. And so so for those that for those of you that that aren't aware, Tyler Yerby and Sean Mishka essentially help spearhead this almost new form of I shouldn't say new, but this more. Newer way of thinking about human movement and and skill acquisition specifically in the sense of athletes will move on the field based on the information presented to them, based on the context of the environment, based on the chaotic environment they're placed in and based on the constraints that they have within them and, and everything else in between. And what this essentially means is that is that athletes are going to progress to more. Natural movement, in a sense. I don't love the word natural, but but more chaotic movement on the field. So in our training, we should maybe introduce them to these movement patterns, and we should introduce them to these to these chaotic movements and different. And they would say that hey, slight knee valgus is is okay because they're going to find knee valgus on the field. So why not introduce them to it while. While they're in a safer environment in the weight room, um, in the training facility, whatever it might be. And so and so that's that's the exact opposite of what I have come to realize and what I believe to be true at this time. So nonetheless, I went to that movement meetup and you were there as well. And we were there for, I don't even know, like four or five hours. We were there till and like one in the morning. It's it was crazy. It, was, rid- it was ridiculous. And, and I'm an early bird. I, I wake up every day at 3.45 a.m. So this, this was like way past my bedtime, like not even close. I was, I was it was like, I, I, but I was so locked into what they were teaching and I wanted to absorb all the information that I could. And, and I walked away from that, that movement meetup with my brain absolutely rattling. Because, you know, I, I'm a very type A guy. I'm an accountant. I enjoy finding the correct answer. Like, I believe like there needs to be a correct answer, right? Like there, there has to be in the world of accounting. There is a correct answer. Like there, there's a little gray area here and there. Um, you know, there's some principles based and, and there's a ton of ethics involved and all that. But in the big scheme of things, there's a book that tells you how to do it. And that's what you need to follow as and now transfer to exercise science, this idea of human movement where, I just continue to ask myself, I said, how, how can these people, you know, my biomechanics professor, who was also a CSCS, uh, an, another mentor to me, I mean, absolutely love him. How could he teach this theory of sports performance and athletic training of, hey, there's one correct way to move. You need to move this way. It's going to translate onto the field. And, and these people teaching, no, there's not one correct way to move. We all move differently. You're going to find chaotic positions on the field. So you should train chaotically and you should train different Then each individual should train different. And I just could not wrap my head around the fact that there were these two opposing viewpoints, but they're in the same profession and they both can find success in training their athletes. I couldn't wrap my head around it until until finally. I mean, just just thinking about it for hours and hours and hours and researching both sides of it. It finally dawned on me one day. And I don't remember exactly where I was when this happened, but like I wish I could remember, like the light bulb moment when it clicked. But I just thought to myself, why do I need to pick one way or the other? Like, why does there need to be a correct answer to this? Like, there does not need to be a correct answer. I don't need to pick what what Tyler and Sean are doing. It works great for them. They're so successful with it. I don't need to pick what my biomechanics professor is doing. He's, you know, unreal successful in his, is in his own ways. I can do what Carter Schmitz wants to do, and I can balance these two ideals. And not only am I going to balance them, but I'm going to mold them together into one interdependent ideal that uses both sides of the argument and then creates a program and trains my athletes in a way that uses both ideas, both viewpoints and molds them into something that's going to be stronger than the two are separate. And that and thus that process of trying to find that interdependence, that process of of trying to find the balance and find that ideal uh, in between, per se, is what's going to push you up your mountain, what's going to push you up the gray area, what's going to cause cause growth in in yourself, in in your athletes, in whoever it is that you work with. Yeah. And I
0: think that's one thing with your program then too, is it's something that you have a stronger belief in too, because it's how you have put this together. And when you believe in a program, it's going to be so much more powerful than I saw this online. I'm going to do this. I'm just going to lay this out for you. But now, now this is what you believe in. You believe in it and your athletes believe in you like that. That's set up for success right there. And then another thing that I want to dive into is, is kind of the rabbit hole mentality that, that you brought up is you think you're right. And then you research a bunch of stuff that tells you you're right. So obviously you're right, yeah. you know, and this is something that I struggle with, especially with a lot of young strength coaches, a lot of guys getting into the fitness world, or diet world specifically mm-hmm. is something works for them. And then there's millions of research things that tells them they're right over and over and over and over again. And it's that feedback loop. And I struggle with trying to break people out and tell them, all right, we got to see a bigger picture. Mm-hmm. One thing, and this is Intermittent fasting. I'm, I'm going to go into this little bit of rabbit hole of intermittent fasting works. I know there's benefits to it. It's great. Mm-hmm. And this is the intermittent faster. will be like, yeah, everybody do this is best. Look at all my research, this type of thing. And then I'm working with a 350 pound person that has a terrible emotional relationship with food. And their answer to that is a. Um, Intermittent fasting. like That's the only solution. And this is where I'm like, we got to see as a field, as a profession, as people that are trying to help people. So you said it's not about believing in one or the other. It's about getting to your goal. It's about finishing a race. It's about getting that person healthy Mm -hmm. and not believing in a black or white and pushing your agenda onto that person. Intermittent fasting, I promise you, is not going to work for that 350 pound person. They have a terrible relationship with food and we need to cure some of these emotional things. Before we go forward with some of these things and being able to take that gray area thought process is so powerful in these regards.
1: Yeah. No, a hundred, 110 percent, my man. I mean, it's just and it relates to so many different facets of life. I mean, you look at leadership is about balance. You look at um, relationships. I mean, your relationship with your spouse is about having this this interdependence, you know, that in which you two help each other grow as individuals and you're not simply you know, separate. You're not simply trying to compromise, but you are actively interdependently molding into something that's stronger than than you are separate. And it just and like I said, it just transfers into all facets of life. And it's something that you need to be actively aware of as you as you read articles, you know, in our informational world today, as you as you develop beliefs and and. And try to, you know, write specifically and say, like, and that's why I get so upset when I read articles sometimes about people pushing their beliefs onto people. You know, some people write with very, like, strict tones where it's like, and I used to do this, too, all the time where I would say, you have to, you must, as opposed to you could or you may want to or something along those lines. And it's just it's the gray area is where you're going to find growth. It's that balance between ideals is what's going to lead you up your mountain. It's what's going to cause you to need to, to further understand the subject matter and the spectrum in question, because without that understanding, you're not going to be able to think critically. You're not going to be able to, to give an active thought into creating that interdependence and, and you're not gonna be able to grow because of that. It's, it's a step-by-step thing in my mind. And, and, and I'm absolutely so grateful that I was, that I, like I, came upon this, this realization, and, and can now institute it into all facets of my life, including accounting, including exercise science. I mean, you look at accounting and exercise science that appear to be two totally opposite worlds, and I'm, I'm fighting every day to to combine these two in some way, to climb the gray area between accounting and exercise science. And it's an absolute challenge. It's it's an unreal challenge. And I struggle with it every day. But I like to think that every day that I work at it, every day that I go through this process of trying to understand both sides of the spectrum and, and become a generalist and grow my knowledge base, that in the end, when I do choose to specialize, wherever that may be, it's going to pay dividends. The fact that I, I fought to navigate this gray area between the two subject matters and and, and it absolutely fires me up. It fires, yes. fires me up to talk about this stuff. So I want to dive in specifically to
0: the accounting and some specifics of what has helped you. What have you been able to take from the
1: accounting world and apply it to the strength conditioning world? Hmm. Biggest thing probably for me is communication. And Because the communication that I deal with in the accounting world is totally different than the communication I deal with when I'm working with athletes. Um, You know, when I'm working, I shouldn't say that, though. It's different, but... It's the same in many ways. Also, the settings are different. You know, I work with my colleagues in the accounting field and it's more it's very professional. It's very, you know, you need to lead, but you also need to be a good listener and everything else in between. Then when you transfer to your athletes, those same principles apply. Those same principles apply. You need to lead, but you need to listen. You need to listen to your athletes. The settings are very different. I mean, when you're in the weight room, you know, blasting that that 80s rock or whatever it is, that's a much different setting than when I'm in the accounting office and it's quiet and you're communicating with your colleagues, you know, using normal voices as opposed to scream it over. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's different, but it's the same. It's different, but it's the same. And those, those principles that I've been able to learn in the accounting world of communication, of leadership, of being led. I mean, I believe being able to lead and being able to be led are, are opposites of each other. And that's a gray area. That's very important to be able to navigate, especially as a coach on one hand, as a coach, you are leading your athletes, but on the other hand, you need to be able to be led by your athletes. You need to be able to have that delegation in a sense and allow them to take ownership of their own training, because that's going to pay dividends for them as athletes. That's going to pay dividends for you as a coach. You're going to grow as a coach when you choose to do that. And, um, so that's probably the biggest thing that I'm taking away from the economy was communication. It's leadership. It's, uh, it's, it's, Being able to communicate precisely, you know, people are busy. I mean, I mean, right now we're filming this in February and it's it's busy season for me. Yeah, it's busy season for me. I mean, putting in late nights here. And so when people get busier, you need to understand how to get that central point across, drive that point home and then get back to your own work because they need to get back to theirs. And that's something that absolutely translates to coaching. Absolutely translates to coaching. You need to be able to get your point across to your athlete. Hey, we're going to do this. This is why we're going to do this. Let's get after it without simply, you know, telling them in in a long winded paragraph, Hey, we're doing this because we need to get more glute activation and, uh, and et cetera, et cetera. You need to find ways to communicate with everybody and everybody's different. And that's, that's probably the biggest take home. Yeah. I like that a lot. Um,
0: I want to dive into it. You brought it up about how you wake up at three 45. What's your, (laughs) uh, what's your uh, time management a little bit like trying to balance these two things and trying to grow both pathways at the same time.
1: Yeah. A lot of, a lot of people look at my schedule as psycho. (laughs) I mean, um, so I wake up every day at 3.45 a.m. Um, I spend <laughs> yeah, I spend the first uh, four hours of my day on personal growth, on researching, on reading, on training myself, you know, multiple times a week on experimenting on myself in my own training on what whatever it might be, whatever that day brings, whatever I feel like that day is going to allow me to go to sleep later that day and say, hey, I grew today as as an exercise scientist. I grew today as an individual. I grew today as as simply Carter Schmitz. Um, and so I spend the first four hours of my day focusing as, in in some way selfishly on myself. Like I spend yep. the first four hours locked in and personal development. And then I go off into the world of accounting and I'm ready to attack the day because I already had this, this, this personal growth of my day. And I was already able to to grow as an individual and feel, feel like my day has been productive. Like I've grown today and now I'm going into the world of accounting and I'm ready to go. I'm ready to get after accounting now, like separating those two ideas kind of. And then, and then after my day as an accountant, I go home and I really try hard. I sit down at my desk and I try to bring those two ideas together. I think back to say, Hey, what did I learn earlier today? What did I learn during my day? And how do they translate? How can they, how can they coincide? because that's the toughest part about, about navigating gray areas and specifically this gray area that I'm trying to navigate. Um, and are you journaling that? Are you writing that absolutely, down? Yeah, absolutely. I love writing, uh, love writing. My, my Google drive is, is filled, filled with things. Um, and I mean, just day after day. So I love writing and, and there are things that I like, I like going back to and reading. I probably don't do it near enough is, is sometimes I feel like, you know, I, I write every day. Like I write you know, multiple times a day, whatever it might be, but you never go back and review those things. That's probably something I need to, I need to get better at. Yeah. I like that. Um yeah. talking about bringing this back a little bit to the, the, the,
0: the, personal growth development and that those four hours, what are key things that you're doing during this four hour? You mentioned like working out and that type of thing. Are there any other like key traits that you do during that four hours that you're like, I need to do this every day or at least once a week, something like that, like to get really mm-hmm. get me going really mm-hmm. sets my mind. Right.
1: Yeah. I've, I've gotten into more, I've gotten to meditation more. I mean, I love reading. I absolutely love reading. They really, you started a a. 5am book club, 5am book club, everybody join on in. Let's see it join in. I mean, and it's so funny though, because a lot of people, you know, call it psycho, like 5am book club, but it's, it's just what works for me. Like, like I I learned my I started this, my junior year of college, which a lot of, you know, college students would look at as very, very (laughs) psycho, but it was just, I found that was when I was most productive. It was, and it's not something that I push onto other people. You know, you need to to understand uh, your athletes and the people that you lead. Like what works best for them. You know, this past summer I worked with some athletes, and um, and no, they they didn't want to get up at six a.m. and train. Like, yeah, I wanted them to get up at six a.m. and train, but they would not have been as productive if we trained at six a.m. So we trained at three p.m. because that was what worked for them, and they were awake, they were ready to go, ready to attack the workout, and. So, so yeah, I talk about I get up at 345 a.m. This is the way I do it. This is my schedule. That doesn't mean it's going to work for you. You know what I mean? You need to find find your own way. That's just when I feel most focused. Um, but so the question was, what what do I feel that time doing? Essentially, like, yeah. what do I prioritize? I prioritized uh, reading and then not just reading, but also then uh, tr- thinking critically about that reading. I think that's a big missing piece is that as you know, there's a lot of people out there that enjoy reading. But if you're just reading without thinking critically about what you're reading, if you're not putting that reading into motion in some way, then what's the point? Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's something that I really prioritize is and and selfishly starting this 5 a.m. book club. You know, that's just basically me putting out a story every day right around 5 a.m. with with some some take home, you know, some nugget, as you would call it, of what of what my first the first hour of my day was filled with. And that's something that selfishly allows forces me to focus more on, on what I'm reading. And it, uh, you know what
0: I mean? Yeah, no, it, no, that's, I just wrote down, um, talking about critically. Cause that, that's, I do the same thing. The reason I put this stuff on Instagram and then make posts about it and that type of thing is so I digest it. Yeah. like, I have to do the research and dive deeper into that reading of what I just read. And then put it out to people and then have that question, have a trigger. So mm-hmm. I, I literally just wrote down Instagram on this sheet of paper to bring that up. So yeah. that was awesome that you thought about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, it just and it, maybe people would will call it selfish, you know, if I'm because I'm doing it for myself in some ways, but I'm not just doing it for myself. Like I want to spread these messages and spread these nuggets along with the world into the world. But in a sense, like it helps me stay focused and it helps me think critically. And and when I'm when I'm posting this five a.m. book club every day, like I'm not just posting it to post it. Like I'm posting something that I truly feel hit me hard and that, that I'm going to take with me into my day of work and into my day of training. That's going to, to help me at the end of the day, think back and say, Hey, what I read this morning, was that something that, that I portrayed into the world? Was that something that, that I was able to relate to my day? Um, and I I think that's very important to do when reading. So that's probably, that's probably a big, a big piece of my morning that kind of goes, that's a little unseen in, in some ways.
0: Yeah, I like that. So something that I set up for my my 2020 day is at the start of every day, right? Um, big picture stuff that I want to accomplish. Um, three things that I want to win before noon. So that's something that I stole oh, I from love that. Yeah. So, so I'm billionaire. I'm not 3:45. I'm not like this. I'm Dude. more like a 6am guy. I'm much more of a <laughs> night owl. That's when my brain's rolling. Uh, you, um, yoke, and, them, yoke them out. Yeah. The owls. Yeah. We're training at night. Uh, and then the last thing is that, and this is when I come back to the board in my gym is, is what did I learn or something to learn that day? So either I'll write it up of, I have something that I want to learn and then I'll come back to it. But just writing about that, something just mm-hmm. to confirm in my head, like, all right, you have done something today. Like you say, you keep bringing it up. Like I have grown Carter today. I have grown Austin today and who I am. And again, that I think that's powerful, especially one thing that I want to talk about a little bit is, is how you you started this 5am book club. I've talked about this with my friend Mark Delos when he started putting stuff on Instagram. It's selfish a little bit, but it's in the regards of you put this out there that you're going to do 5 a.m. book club now. Mm-hmm. What's that force you to do every day?
1: It forces me to get up at 3.45 a.m. and get an hour of reading. And, and post that. You know what I mean? But like I w- I'd be lying if I said some days it's tougher to get out. It's some days it, I would be lying if I said some days it's tough. or not easy getting out of bed. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> and so obviously getting up at 3.45 a.m. every day like is not a piece of cake. And so by doing this 5 a.m. book club, like, like, yeah, I, I'll get my ass out of bed. Cause I, you know, I mean, people are maybe, watching. maybe three people are expecting it, but three I'm, people are expecting I'm going it. to give it to those three people because yeah. this is something that I can, I can do to help them grow today and help myself grow today.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's, it's very powerful. This is why I tell people that are trying to start something, trying to change their life is like, you got to put it out there with, with me, it was nuggets of the day. That was so strong mm. because I was, I was putting it out there and there were some days where it's like, no, eh, no, I'm not gonna learn something. I'm not gonna work out today. I was like, eh, I'm pretty beat up. I'm like, <laughs> shit, <Yeah. laughs> I have nothing today. Now you have to every single day. You got to learn something and you got to work out. You got to do those two things. You got to grow yourself. Mark Dell did the same thing. He was talking about it to me the other day. he's running miles now, and he was running this. It was every four hours, you have to run four <gasps> miles for 48 hours. It's so a beast. yeah, so you're running it's- at like 2 a.m. You're doing all these weird things, but he was like. I would i probably would have quit that if i hadn't put it out on instagram he's yeah. like he's like there's no way in hell if it's just me running out there it's such a bigger push when i know the world of instagram and like you said maybe it's four people that would actually call him out on that but there's four people out there that'd be like hey dude where where how'd you finish this because you told me you were gonna do it and it's holding yourself accountable in a world that this is this is something that i'm gonna dive in a little bit deeper right now is everybody says social media is like crappy it's a crappy thing i'm like the same people that say that are the people that keep shitty people in their lives. You know, like you need to take ownership of that. If same, social media is crappy for you, you're using it as a bad tool. Mm-hmm. Surround yourself with better people on social media. Surround yourself and use it as a tool to push you forward just like this. So that's just something I've been having that brewing in my head. So yeah. I just kind of want to dive in a little bit about Absolute. that. But it's for sure a positive tool you can use.
1: Yeah. And that goes back to writing down your goals. Like you need to get your goals on paper, put it above your desk, Above your bed, wherever you see it, because putting things onto paper makes it tangible. That makes it real. Mm -hmm. And and that coincides with that idea perfectly.
0: Yeah. And then again, put it on paper. And then I think send that paper out to somebody. I think think holding yourself accountable, but I think it goes a little bit deeper to when you know somebody in a let's say you Mm -hmm. set year long goals, you know, somebody at the end of that year is going to be like, all right, Carter, what'd you do? Did you do this? And I think that's something very powerful. So that was just a message that I want to get out. Last point before we get into our rapid fire rounds from when you interned and when you started, you talked about that changes. But to now as a coach, what have been your biggest changes in your programming so far and kind of where were you and where are you at now that where do you see training as?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, the biggest the biggest change I've probably made is regarding communication with athletes. And maybe that does go into just, you know. Learning to give the athletes ownership and learning to give the athletes a sense of, hey, this program, this program that I'm writing for you, this programming, this program that I'm I'm guiding you through, in a sense, isn't for me like this program is for you and it's designed for you. So we need to work together interdependently. Again, the gray area. I mean, just comes out of nowhere. It's like this program is for you. So me and you need to work together interdependently to make it make it stronger. And that that is probably the biggest change when I look at writing programs for other people or even if it's just like writing a workout for someone. you know, someone reaches out to me and says like, Hey, I'm hitting upper body today. Any recommendations? Like I, I will give you a recommendation only, but then I expect you to come back and tell me, was it good for you? Did it work for you? Like, is there a better way to, to, to do that next time. You know what I mean? And so that's a big piece that's changed in regards to training other people in regards to my own training. It's, it's a lot of experimentation. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of, you know, it's like, we just talked about how social media is it's positive. It's not negative. I'll see something on, on social media because that's kind of the way information spreads these days. And I'm going to try it myself. And I'm going to say, is this something that I can institute into my own programs? Because, and again, it goes back to this idea of interdependence of, of, Of I'm, in a sense, relying on not relying the wrong word, but I have this mutual dependence with other people in my in my world of social media and those that I communicate with in my network of, hey, I like your ideas. I'm going to combine them with mine and I'm going to move up my mountain. And by learning your ideas, by learning why you're doing that and posting that on social media. I'm growing my mountain, increasing my potential for growth. And and I'm going to take that and I'm going to experiment and see, hey, does this work for me? No, it doesn't. Okay, well, at least now I know my mountain is going to remain taller because that's a piece of knowledge that that's going to be included in my breath of knowledge.
0: Yeah. And you won't be wasting your time on doing something that now you now, you know, it won't work in your program and what you believe in. So now Mm you cut that off. So again, it's eliminating baggage. So even though some would say like, all right, you didn't gain something in your toolbox. you took a tool that doesn't work out of your toolbox. So you don't have to shift around and spend that much time in there. So I think it's still super powerful. Absolutely. Let's transition into our rapid fire rounds now. So again, these are just questions that, short questions, you can talk as long as you want and we'll roll through. So what are your favorite books that you think the listeners can get a
1: lot out of? Yeah, so mention Range by David Epstein. That's a great one. You know, I would consider myself to be to be a generalist, so so that's that's one that that hit home for me and that I connected with well, and and similarly, you know, I'm looking at it right now, four-hour week. I know that's one that you recommended for yeah, me. One of my favorites. And if I would recommend reading those back to back because they're they're different. They I think they complement each other well in so many opposing ways, if that makes sense. And so that's one I'd recommend. Have you read the book Chop Wood Carry Water? Yes. Yeah. By Joshua Medcalf. Yep that book, that was the very first book as, so as I started, um, picking up this very odd sleep schedule of mine and reading in the morning and stuff like that, that was like the very first book that I, that I, that I read. And it was a good book to choose. You know, it's a super easy read. Like it's an awesome read. It's almost a little, little corny at times. Um, but I recommend everybody read that book. It's like a hundred pages and it's absolute fire. Like it will change your life in it. Um, I'd love to expand did the, on the house, building your own house story, if you remember that. I don't know. I don't know. We read it fresh year in yeah. high school together. So it was, it was a okay. Long okay. while ago. OK, so in, the, so in the book, Joshua Metcalf, in one chapter, he expands on, on this story. And it's about it's about and the story gave me chills as I was reading it. But it's about a guy, a guy. We'll just call him Jim. I don't remember his actual name, but we'll call him Jim. And he. He's an architect and he builds homes for a living. He builds extravagant homes. He builds beautiful homes for a living. But he never really takes grasp of why he's building homes. It's just kind of his job. And it's just something he does for a living. And as he starts to get older, he starts to get a bit worn out. And and he says, "Okay, I'm going to call it quits. I'm going to retire. He goes up to his boss, hands in his two week notice. But his boss is like, no, Ah, no. I love this story. He's He's like, no, I need you to build one more house for me. And reluctantly, Jim agrees. And he says, "Okay, last one, though. And sure enough, Jim's building the house and and he half asses it and he cuts some corners and he delegates more than he normally does. And at the end of the day, the house is built, it's, it's it's regulation, but it's not something that he's truly proud of. But nonetheless, he goes up to his boss and says, hey, okay, the house is done. The house is done, I'm out of here, I'm retiring, see you later. And the boss goes, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. I have one more thing for you. And he pulls out of his desk a small box and hands it to Jim. Jim opens up the small box and sure enough, there are two house keys in the box. And the moral of the story is that every day with our actions, with those we choose to surround ourselves with, we are building our own house. We are building the house of of our life, of our foundation. And that's something that really hit home for me is that every day you wake up, the choices you make, who you choose to spend time with, what you choose to spend your time doing affects the house that you are actively building every single day. And and that's something that hit home for me. So that's a book that I would recommend. It's an awesome book. Um, Game Changers, a sweet book by uh, Fergus Connolly, Dr. Fergus Connolly. And touched on that one earlier. I know you and Jake touched on that a few podcasts back a lot. So I'll let I'll let that one do do that book justice. So. Those are probably the main ones that I would recommend. That are, that That's are a solid fresh test. on the mind. Yeah. Yeah. Every single one of those has been recommended recommended to
0: me probably like 50 times, especially yeah. that range one that one, that one's coming up next mm-hmm. on the, the reading. So I'm excited for that one. So transitioning to the next question, who is a guest that you think we should have on this podcast? Who
1: do you think would be mm-hmm. a really good fit for the listeners? Stu. Stuart Bourne is, is, a, is a big one for me. I mean, he's just a mentor to me. I, I love hearing him speak. I love, I love conversing with him. Um, You know, you know, with the conversation that I, you know, so I I talked about human movement, how that was really the first avenue that I went down that I pursued in in navigating the gray area. And the conversation that I would love to hear, and this would be big time, but having a guy like Sean Mishka, a guy like Tyler Yerby, and then also having a guy on the other side of the spectrum on the podcast at the same time. So I'm talking maybe, um, you know. Dr. Joel Seedman is one that comes to mind who is is a very biomechanist background or um, Dr. Brett Contreras, uh, the glute guy, as he's known as, is a very uh, biomechanist, very research founded guy. And, And listening to that conversation between. Oh, and by the way, I don't mean that Tyler and Sean aren't research, but like there's a lot of research actually on that side of the spectrum as well. So hearing that conversation between. Between those two parties would be very fun and very, very intriguing for me to listen to. That's a good. Uh, that's a great idea. That I wonder would be fun. how I'd be uh, the mediator between those two from <laughs> biting each other's heads off. Yeah. And those are just some examples. I mean, I'm sure you can find plenty of guys on both sides of that spectrum. But listening to two people on opposite sides go at I mean, go at it in a sense that not debate, but have a conversation of of somehow, how can we bring those two ideas together in order order to mold something that meets in the middle that interdependently grows upon the two? That would be something that interests me. That'd be really cool.
0: I think that'd be an awesome, that'd be an awesome podcast. That's a good idea. Picking your brain, good stuff. Let's make it happen. All right, next question. What's next for you? And I think this question applies more to you
1: than any of the previous guests, so I'm excited to hear the answer. Mm -hmm. Yep, so I'm actively right now pursuing my CSCS. I'm in the middle of of working through the study material and, and get my CSCS. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to going to grad school in the future, but I really don't, I don't really have specific plans for it. I plan on going right now as in 2021, but right now I'm locked into accounting. I'm locked into my day to day, what I'm doing right now to try and grow in both realms of the world that I'm, that I'm passionate about that I'm pursuing per se. Um, And so right now I'm really taking it day by day. I'm growing each and every day. I have plans to get my CSCS. I have plans to go to grad school in the future. I have plans to dive into the strength conditioning world and and get into strength and conditioning. I would love to become a professor someday if I if I can navigate all the academics that come with it. Um, it, Really, in the end, in the end, I have ideas. I have passions. I have dreams I aspire to be. But in the end, I want to empower growth. And and wherever that comes about, if if that is in the accounting world, which it very well might be in the future, who knows? Then that's what we're going to be where I stay. But as of right now, it looks like I'm trying to transition into more of a CSCS, into strength conditioning, into becoming a professor and and affecting people's lives in in this realm of the world. And, and I'm really looking forward to doing that. And I think that that by attacking this subject matter head on, just like I am accounting, just like I did my academic career in college, and, and just like I did you know, football dating back to my junior year. Once I learned from all those failures and you know, it's funny, all these conversations always go full circle somehow, but that's, that's going to be where, where Carter Schmitz ends up. And that's simply in some sort of role that I feel that I can truly empower growth in others as well as myself. Yeah. I'm
0: excited for, we talked about this a little bit before the podcast, but five years from now, we redo this podcast you check back in and see where you're at. You betcha. So next question. Um, when you're in your deathbed, uh, long in the future.
1: What do you want your legacy to be when you leave this earth? Mm -hmm. My, my goal, I want to be a guy that's known as, as somebody that helped you climb your mountain, that helped you navigate your gray area, that helped you understand both sides of the spectrum. Somebody that helped hold you accountable and, and in a sense played devil's advocate and allowed you to fully realize your potential because because you weren't narrow-minded, somebody who can expand your horizon and give you that generalization, that breadth of knowledge and experiences, and so in the end, you can maximize your potential and climb your mountain and and reach the peak, um, and, and in the end, be, be somebody who helped you, who helped inspire you and give you that growth and and raise your peak. I love that. That's good.
0: All right, last question of the podcast: Your real-world message for somebody that's in a valley. They come to you, they're kind of stuck. Let's say they just got benched in the football game. They're struggling in their account. They're not sure where they want to go in life, but they're down. They're really struggling. And they come to you five years from now, you're in this really good spot. And they're like, all right, Carter, how did you get out of this valley? What is your message for them?
1: Yeah, the first step for me, and and this can be a painful step. This is, I mean, it's an ego hit, but you need to understand completely why you're in the situation that you're in. And like I said, it can be an ego hit, um, but you need to understand how you got to where you are, why you got to where you are and really dig deep. Don't don't stop at, you know, I got benched because I missed a couple of kicks. Like, no, it was more than that. I got benched because my life wasn't all in order. I got benched because my my, you know, my academics, my passions weren't all in order. And so that's that's what I would tell you is that you need to understand deeply why you got to the situation that you you are in right now. And then only then, once you understand, can you create an action plan and think critically on the matter and and work towards work towards becoming that doer that, you know, you talk a ton about like books, talk a ton about like the four hour work week talks a ton about is being a doer and going out and doing getting it done. And yes, you should be that you should 100 percent be a doer. But if you're in a valley, if you're fighting, you cannot become that doer in my mind. Until you understand first, until you think critically, and then once that action plan is developed, then you become the doer and you enroll your growth that you just experienced throughout this process of understanding, throughout this process of of thinking critically.
0: Yeah. And I think that's super powerful if you have to own first, if you're, if you're not able to own your life and make that decision, like you said, it wasn't because of these things. It wasn't mm-hmm. that outside source of it. was something deep in you. And I think that that's super powerful. One of the, one of the quotes in my, uh, in my gym, the top one is, uh, when you look in the mirror, who stares back? And it's exactly that reason, because that's the first step. Like you said, the changing that valley around is look in the mirror. Who's staring back at you? Is, is mm-hmm. it? Who you want to stare back at you? Is it socially? Is it physically? Is it mentally? Is it spiritually? Who you want to stare back at you? And again, until you get that person to stare back at you and it's like, all right, that's who I want to stare back at me. Nothing else in life is going to matter. It's not about the kicks. It's not about the field goal. It's not about what you're doing. It's about who you are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, man totally relate
0: to that. Well, it was awesome to have you on this podcast. Man, it was I a sweet conversation. Can't Thank
1: you enough, dude. You're a mentor to me. You're a role model. And I really appreciate, appreciate our, uh, our relationship. So yeah, thank I'm looking you. forward. We're
0: going to have, we're gonna have like a three year or five year and a 10 year update on this can't, podcast. Can't I'm super wait. Excited. So you better keep growing. You better keep having that 5am group, dude. I can't wait. I can't wait till tomorrow morning. Stay tuned. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Keep chopping wood.